welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, Gary shares his personal journey with just the difficulties that life can throw at you, and I am just so in awe of the vulnerability and the honesty that he brought to this conversation and to see where he is today from where he started. It is just such a beautiful story that I hope all of y'all really enjoy and additionally, I also was diagnosed recently with an autoimmune disease, so it was very personal for me to be editing this podcast and listening to it again and hearing just the positivity that he comes at life with. I hope to have the same joy and the same positivity that he holds on to dearly. So this is a really good episode that I think all of y'all are going to really enjoy. Tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, then I think a way to start would be you were nominated for this podcast by Pam. Why do you think she nominated you? Well, so Pam is, I believe, married to my friend Mike. And Mike was kind of one of these folks that when I was very young, he was kind of in a generation ahead of me. His band would play these local shows when I was like 13, 14. And so coming into that, I looked up to him. Kind of first time I met Pam, saw a band, liked it. And she was really into what we were kind of what my band was about. So, okay. I feel like you still haven't answered the question, though. <laughs> to be frank, right? So she must see something that's inherently very strong about you, and in some way that you are standing against the mainstream culture. So I want to push you a little bit even deeper. Like, why do you think she picked you? Well, um, I would say the thing maybe that is a little unique about me is I'm probably one of the most positive people I know with a lot of issues that would generally cause someone not to be positive. I have a, uh, I have an autoimmune disorder and that has been something probably from like when I was 25 on caused a lot of things to happen in my life that depending on how you were looking at it, you might feel like your life was stolen from you. Like I, between the ages of 20 and 25, I was working in a recording studio by 25, I was running a mastering facility making like $60 an hour. I was on like, like I owned it. I was on track to probably do that for the rest of my life. And then I started having these health issues and I realized like stress couldn't deal with it anymore. Like even the like slightest amount of the, you know, the normal stuff you'd be doing running a business couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. My health would get worse. I'd notice when I'd get more things going on and couldn't find a way around it. Um, so I kind of had to give that up and I had to over the next you know, from when I was 25 to 40 now, so how many over years that is, I kind of had to figure out ways to re re re-examine my life, rebuild my life, try and get the pieces of it that 
I enjoy, but also respect my mental health and my body and, and not really go over that. And I don't know, like now I'm like the happiest person I've ever been. And it's, it's kind of nuts. I never really thought I would be as happy as I am now. I knew I wouldn't be like destroyed from issues that I've had, but it just in the past five or six years, like things have gotten drastically better. So now I see why Pam nominated you. (laughs) This is a story. You have a beautiful story to tell. Would you say it it starts at 25? Is that where you want to start talking about more of your experience? Yeah, sure. I mean, when I was 25, I was, I was married Mm -hmm. and I was in a relationship and you know, I had started finding out these health issues. Kind of got in the first part was I, I found out I was allergic to all this crazy stuff. Like they tested me for 45 foods. I, I was allergic to 43. Oh, no. Yeah, like low-level allergies. Some of them were high-level. There was only probably like five or six like high-level allergies. But it was enough to the point where like my immune system, eating a normal diet, I was just getting destroyed, you know. But um, – yeah, I'd been kind of married and been in this relationship for about six or seven years and things were just falling apart. I was really angry. Like I was not dealing with the stuff that I had in my life. I, I grew up with like physical abuse, that kind of thing from my dad. And I'd kind of internalized it. I'd become physically abusive too and verbally abusive and all that. So sitting there at 25, kind of having this whole thing kind of like in the period of like six or seven months, I decided to close down my studio realized I couldn't really do what I was planning to do for the last five or six years and realized that I was abusive and this relationship wasn't working. And it was a crazy, crazy place to be. But kind of the only way I got through it was my ego was so broken by just so many of the different things. And I don't mean that in like an egotistical way, but I mean that in, I think a lot of people have a, I mean, we all have a hard time seeing the reality about ourselves because we'll kind of cling to like our rationalizations because our whole existence depends on it mm-hmm. you know and when everything's already broken it's a lot easier to just accept like if you've already accepted like i've got to change and like you don't really feel any uh, clinging to any of the stuff that you have about you that you do feel good about it's a lot easier to like accept things and really just be like, look, I don't know what I'm doing at all with my life. <laughs> you know, like I don't, everything I thought was up isn't, you know, it wasn't. And it's not, and when you're being like physically abusive or something like that, it's not like you feel like, it's not like you think you're doing something right. Like, you know, it's wrong, but what you don't realize is, like people will get these rationalizations of like, oh, well, I'm angry. And so this is why I'm acting this way. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't see themselves as being in the continuum of like an abusive like cycle. Right. Like where they're where they're seeing just even the language they use. Like you'll hear a lot of like, well, you made me angry. Like a lot of just non acceptance of their own part and what happens when you get angry. Um, that, you know, yeah, you can be angry. Like there's nothing wrong with being angry. Anger is a secondhand emotion, but you know, but it, when you, when it's when in your mind that like the obvious solution is to become violent or to scream or to yell or to call names, you know, and that was the other thing too. I didn't really understand the, 
verbal c- component of that, you know, like I, I read this book called on violence or on, no, sorry, on killing. And it, it's this book by this uh, military guy that kind of like went through like the psychology of how humans are able to do kind of horrible things to each other. And humans always try to like isolate themselves from the bad they are doing. Sometimes they use it by, or they do it by using dehumanizing terms. So like racists will use, you know, racial slurs and this kind of thing. It creates a distance. Uh, if you're a bomber pilot, you have like physical distance between you and, you know, your victims. You're like 30,000 feet above them or something. But, you know, using like misogynistic words towards like your partner or something like that. Or, yeah, I mean, that that kind of like distance stuff. It ends up in a thing where you, you're in a relationship and you're not arguing with somebody you love. You're arguing with this person that you've kind of dehumanized in this way. From that point, I kind of had to reevaluate everything and started kind of putting, you know, figuring out what worked with my life and what kind of life did I really want to live. And, you know, fast forward, I had a kid and I was already in a pretty good spot with my life. But then that kind of changed everything else, too. It 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 was it was probably the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. But, and I was worried a little bit, you know, coming from the stuff I've had to deal with with my health and all that about being a parent. But I realized that if I could put the kid first always and kind of approach life like that, then I'd be good. And it's been awesome. (laughs) So there is a lot there to talk about. Like this is a deep story. Okay. First, thank you for sharing everything that you're sharing. This is all extremely personal information, and I appreciate your vulnerability in telling all of this to me and all of the listeners that you know are hearing your story for the first time. I think this is a very powerful narrative, this concept of abuse that you had enacted upon you as a child in your home to being an abuser yourself, and then to recognize that and change it and name it. That's huge. So many people never make it to that step of getting out of no. the cycle of trauma that they're reenacting from their own experience. And so I want to ask you more about that. That's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a, I think it might be easier for me to accept because having kind of negative narratives in my life for so long mm-hmm. and having kind of crazy stuff happen to me at earlier ages, you know, I, I know folks that are like scared to go to a therapist and, and to me, I'm just like, why? Like you can only get better, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, but I think they're like kind of lucky in that they maybe feel better in, in the get go and they haven't really kind of opened some of that stuff up. And so they're afraid that they will and it'll be worse. But kind of my thing is I've always been like coming from (laughs) a very realistic after a certain point, I've been used to dealing with stuff. And so the the thought like I kind of look at it as like, you know, being scared to go get a scan to see if you have cancer. It's like if you have cancer, the scan's not going to cause it to have more like you're just going to know. And I'm kind of the thing of like, dude, put it on the table. Let me figure out. Cause this is all I have to work with. And like the life of people around me is not going to be better if I ignore things. And, and I think that's kind of like our ultimate goal as human beings is, is to try and be good folks to ourselves and the people around us. Like, I think that is our only responsibility as human beings is like our only, well, not only responsibility, but that is our main job is, is to be 
decent and helpful and whatever to the folks in our world. It's interesting you say this because I resonate with this a lot. I've always been this similar kind of person of if there's a fire, face it head on. We'll decide how to move from that. We can't run away from that. But like even that, I don't know how I got here. And I'm curious if you know how you got there of just like not running away from your problems. I think it's because I noticed that like I would get bullied a lot when I was a kid. Mm. And and then like kind of later in life, like – I I was never one of those people that was able to like ask other people for help. Like I would just teach myself how to fix it. And I think that just came from kind of the way I grew up. Like I was an older brother, but it was kind of like when I was like seven, like my guitar stopped working and I had to like take it apart and figure out how to fix it. And I didn't have like a soldering iron or anything like that. So I like taped the wires back together, you know? I just realized, though, that when things got worse, like it, like when crises did happen, if I didn't have all this other stuff kind of in line, then it all snowballed. So like kind of all through my life, I've been even when I was being like shitty and abusive, like in other areas, I was trying to always deal with as much as I could. Like actually try and figure it out as much as I could because that way when the worst does happen, it doesn't destroy me. I can I can kind of get through it, you know, and, and my kind of, my life has kind of just been a, a continuation of that trajectory with lots and lots of uh, <laughs> figuring things out. I mean, I've been pretty much in therapy consistently since 2005, 2004. Where is that in your timeline of age? So I was born in 1979, so 2005, I would have been 26. Okay, so right after you were figuring out your health stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was crazy because I didn't, like when I first met some of my friends and like when I was, like friends that I've had for many years, I didn't really realize that I had kind of had like an abusive childhood. Mm. You know, because I'd see stuff on TV and be like, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, it wasn't like, you know you can deal with it and um that was kind of a weird thing to like meet folks and and them being like dude you're you're dealing with a lot you know i was like oh really Mm. that makes life make a lot more sense (laughs) because it just seemed like improbably hard if you're willing would you be open to sharing more about that experience and that time in your life yeah sure like what in particular your childhood I mean, even just, especially that narrative right there, right? Someone allowed you to see what you're holding was so much. How many people listening might learn from your experience that they had a troubling childhood too? I don't, I don't know what your story is, but that's a big switch that could help someone else. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I I did a little bit of radical mental health support later in life. And I've talked to people that had some crazy fucking childhoods. I did not have a crazy childhood. I just had a parent that, well, I had two parents. I had my mom, who I love, and I my dad, who I do love. But my dad, for whatever reasons, didn't really handle things well. And you learn to compartmentalize things. Like, I, I, I really, and, and then I kind of just spent the rest of my life learning, or not the rest of my life, but the rest of my childhood, and <laughs> a good bit of my life, Learning how to satiate abusive people, Mm. like learning how to like, oh, you're going to be abusive right now. Let me calm you down. 
let me do whatever I need to do so that you don't do that anymore. Just trying to make it from point A to point B with the least amount of abuse and, and just never really thinking of it in that higher frame of, Oh, like this isn't right. Like that just seems way too theoretical and way too whatever at that point in time. Like as an eight year old, like all you're concerned with is like, how can we make it through the rest of this beach trip with that not happening again? And I never like blamed myself for it, even though my dad would literally blame me. Um, mainly because I, I could see that, you know, like it was just very obvious, like for some reason I could see that it was his problem. I know some kids blame themselves for that. I never did that, but I did end up coming out of it thinking that I was an idiot, like out of my childhood. Like I remember when they did like my, in high school, that valuation of like what kind of job you should get. And they were like, oh, you should be a janitorial engineer. (laughs) Yeah. Like six years later, I'm running my own mastering studio, you know, like kind of from that, I was just very alienated. I think I probably also was autistic. I didn't have any clue. About, like, So I was born in 1979. So when I was like 10, I, it was 1989. They didn't really have autism as like something that was like really diagnosed, um, except in like pretty extreme conditions. I don't even think the diagnosis actually existed until the late 80s, I think. Um, maybe it was later than that. But when my daughter was born, uh, a couple of years after that, we found out that they were on the spectrum and so I started reading about it and I realized that a lot of the things I thought were just weird quirky me was probably me being kind of on the higher functioning side of autism so I think that probably contributed a little bit to some of the uh, awkwardness I felt kind of growing up but then you know it kind of as I aligned with like socially like I would get bullied you know, through school. And it wasn't until I met my friend, uh, this guy, Patrick, um, who ended up starting my first band with that. I was able to actually feel like I had a value, I guess, to like other people. That's incredibly sad. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I don't, wow. That's the first time that you felt like you had value as a human being in your life. Yeah. And and I kind of like discovered punk rock maybe like a year after that. And then all of a sudden I went from like having no value to, you know, playing shows and like people being interested in what I had to say. Like I remember like the, when I was like 14, we started doing interviews and stuff like that. And like I'd be quoted in a newspaper. It was nuts. It, it felt like winning the lottery, you know. The, the only other time it's ever felt like that in my life was when I had my daughter. That that becoming a dad felt like winning a lottery to me. So I'm thinking in long term of your story and trajectory, at that point, 14, you're starting to feel the value, but you're still living under, if your parents were together, a dangerous situation, especially for you as you're growing older and, you know, becoming a man at that time and your father is abusive, that becomes increasingly more dangerous. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it got to the point where, like, like I'd started fighting back like around like 13 or 14 and it would, it would get into weird stuff where like, you know, he did my mom police would get called mm. because I hit him. <laughs> then the police would show up and my mom kind of doing the same thing I did in the back of the car. Not, you know, let's just contain this abusive person wouldn't want to press charges. And so I'd end up getting charged with stuff. 
Um, after a certain point, I ended up leaving like right when I was like 17, I ended up getting a something in high school where they actually like let me out early if I like did some like GED class. And so they just let me leave at a certain point and, uh, moved out on my own. And yeah. Yeah. What was that like? I, I mean, now what that, that time now you move out, these are, these are big life changes that I can't even begin to imagine what it was like to walk through your shoes of living that experience. And now, you know, did your parents stay together and you're leaving your mom behind, but equally leaving for your safety and you just graduated high school? Like, wow, that's a lot. Well, and there was another, so like right, probably right before that, my friend Patrick, the guy I'd kind of started the band with and all that, he ends up getting in a car accident and getting killed. Oh my God. So once that happened, my kind of world was upside down. And I think I moved out maybe a year after that. But yeah, then I just kind of, I don't know, like started trying to figure stuff out. And then I was kind of like always just trying to keep things together from the second I got out until, you know, I find myself kind of in this relation, long-term relationship with this person, you know, when I'm in my twenties, then I'm like building this studio. I never really got a chance to like slow down or really think about anything till like I was like 26. Right. But then I'll, by that time my health was going nuts. So, you know, like my life has just been a series of <laughs> crazy things and probably most people's lives are, you know, like I don't, I, I know folks that have had a way worse than me, but, um, like, I, I understand, like, I've just met a lot of folks and kind of realized at a certain point that you can't really grade suffering. It's 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 on your own scale, you know, so like if because it because it depends on your ability to deal with it. So like, you know, this 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 problem that might be huge for someone else, it might not be a big deal for you. And this problem that might be not a big deal for someone else, it might be huge for you. It really has to do with experience. And I realized kind of that like, you know, I, there were certain years, parts of my life where I would get jealous at like people having to deal with like maybe less than I have to deal with. But I realized that like that's what people should be dealing with is that less amount. Like I shouldn't be angry that they're not dealing with more so that I feel whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> like and, and it's kind of like come forth being a parent where if I'm doing my job well, then my kid is going to complain about the most uselessly, like not important things, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, you know, I'll be sitting there and be like, wow, you're really screaming about this right now. You know, thinking back to like what mm -hmm. I had to deal with, but it's, it's like, obviously like you don't, I would never want them to ever deal with anything that I had to deal with. So it's it's you just kind of laugh and you're like, well, I guess this is the odd fruit of doing something slightly right. So exactly, exactly. I think what's interesting though is sometimes people and myself included in this tend to turn that perspective inward and then say what happened to me wasn't that bad, and in doing so, then inv invalidate their whole experience. So I wonder, have you ever struggled with that in this time? And I, I would imagine based on the fact that Patrick was so key in opening that up to you. Um, no, I've never, I've always kind of like had that understanding that like if something bothers you, it bothers you. Mm -hmm. Like you should never fault yourself for being bothered by something. Yeah. You can fault yourself for how you deal with it. 
you can fault your because that's according to your own thing. I mean, like one of the hard things I had to deal with when I realized I was being abusive is is that that wasn't who I thought I was in my head. And it also um, wasn't what I wanted to be. Um, and so I was lucky in that, like, my mom is an amazing person, um, <laughs> like a really amazing person. Because of my mom, I've always had this very positive idea of what are the possibilities in life, mm-hmm. I, I think, because I've had it from such a young age. So, like, when I'd see things, I don't know, like, I could always kind of, like, tell they were wrong, even when I was being abusive myself, I knew it was wrong. I think the thing that limited me was that I thought it was my own, like for, for many years, I thought it was, well, I have my dad's anger. I would write off a lot of personal responsibility being by being like, well, I've got my dad's temper. I've got this and, and, you know, that's genetic, you know? And it wasn't until I realized that like, and I can't remember, maybe it's from my therapist. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it was from my therapist. She kind of like walked me through and I was able to see that second to slow my brain down enough to see that second where you, that anger happens and then it turns to you acting. And I, once I was able to kind of just take a second and think it was like the key for me, like being able to like control myself basically, you know? It's like the definition of mindfulness, right? Like Right. <laughs> Right. I feel anger, but I am not my emotions, nor do I have to act out on these emotions and I can let them pass. Right. And that's nuts as a parent when when like my kid is eight now and you're seeing them learn how to deal with this stuff. And you're just like, oh, God, like because they have no like control, you know, like they're so rather, you know, they say kids are so honest they are but it's because they haven't learned how to control themselves also you know so but yeah there's definitely a lot to learn from them and we always talk about our inner child right and i think that's a key to finding how you move through these things i want to ask you too those first moments of learning to check in with yourself could you talk more about the actual change process because that doesn't right you don't just like stop being abusive one day and heal it's such a journey and if you could just elucidate more of that i'd love to hear well okay so you know the kind of the way i approached that was like you know how like sex offenders are like looked at in movies where like oh you're gonna get like there'll always be that narrative of like the sex offender who realizes that he's like just this horrible sex offender and he just wants to avoid any whatever there's no real narratives about people that realize they're abusive right So the kind of in my mind thing was I was just like, okay, well, I'm a fucking damaged good and I'm just going to never be in a relationship with anyone that I care about ever the fuck again. And so I did that for about four years. Like, I think I kind of like lightly dated some people, but anytime a relationship would come up or anything like that, like I would not really want to get into it i'd be scared because i didn't want to hurt anybody and i'd rather be alone for the rest of my life than ever hurt somebody out of my control you know because i didn't know if it was like is it really just me choosing to not do this because if that is that seems a little too simple and why would there be abusive people yeah you know and so i was like maybe it's more hardwired so i was like scared i'd get into these relationships and i'd be like scared like oh god we're gonna get in a fight and something's gonna switch in like my reptilian brain and i'm gonna be this horrible person 
and it took many years, but it never, never fucking happened. Once I learned how to like, just take a second, like I never found myself like, oh my, like I'm going to explode. Like I just never, because the whole thing is once that happened, then it happened in every other process. So like when someone was arguing with me, I would just try to stay present with like, I love this person. Mm. Like, I'm not going to call them a name, you know? And that's the thing is I think a, a lot of folks don't really understand kind of how abuse works, but like for it to get to one side, like to get to physical, I guarantee you, you're also going to find folks and they're doing all this verbal stuff and they might think in their head that like, well, I'm cussing so I don't get angry or something, or I'm trying to get rid of my anger. But what you're actually doing is like, you're dehumanizing this other person. You're making it easier for you to hurt them and you don't even realize it. So once I kind of learned that, I applied it to most every part of my life and it ended up making me feel a lot more empowered in my personal life, like not in relationships because I was basically just avoiding them. But like in terms of like, okay, a friend said something, it upset me. And and I've also kind of like always had chronic depression. So like right there I could be like, oh, well, maybe I'm worthless or maybe it's because I'm worthless. I could start kind of like intercepting that that process too. So it not only worked just for getting around anger, but also like self-destructive, like shitty thoughts. Right. Exactly. Because if you were thinking about I'm genetically predispositioned to be an abuser. Oh, I'm depressed. I am predisposed to be this. And it's like it's that same change there of not recognizing your autonomy in each of these moments. Yeah. And and also your personal responsibility. Yeah, I mean, because that's what the big thing is in those things is like a, autonomy comes with responsibility, right? You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of like this catch-22, I think, that a lot of folks might feel like they're in when they're in a situation like that where they, they don't really have the tools maybe to kind of pull apart what's actually happening. And it's crazy, too, when you're in a relationship because, like, things get crazy, you know? Like, you're in an argument and, like, you can't even remember what you're arguing about 20 minutes into it. So, like, pulling apart, like what the hell just happened? Like, it's almost impossible, you know? So, like, the way I had to do it was kind of to just just do these kind of, like, crazy examinations with my therapist of, like, going through things, and she just happened to be really good at doing it, and I was able to kind of, like, see, like, oh, that's that second, that right there, that's where I need to not react, to think instead to realize what's happening. And I'd also kind of gotten into Buddhism and reading about that. And that's another thing too, of like, you know, talking about mindfulness, like it's an, a very empowering thing to hear that the Dalai Lama gets angry, right? Mm-hmm. Cause he's a person. Of course he gets angry, but you don't take it out on people, you know? And it, getting angry is not wrong. Like we're, we're hurt because we're fixed. We're fixed in this body. We have fixed egos, fixed positions of these kind of things. Anytime you're fixed like that, you're going to hurt because things are going to collide against you and against your expectation of what's happening. You can just be a little more fluid and understanding in terms of like, you know, okay, maybe that person's having a bad day. That's, I mean, I just generally try to have empathy for folks now, especially coming from where I've come from. I'm not in a position to judge anybody on anything. Right. And I also realize life is cyclic, you know, like, like life's kind of like chapters and stuff. So like for these years, you might be just a jerk. But you might be a really helpful person in the next six or whatever, you know. I, I try to be hopeful like that. Right. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's really hard when we live in this world, and I, I think you mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, of we live in these narratives and these stories to make sense of everything that happens to us. But I always, and this is me personally thinking about my experience with mindfulness and a lot of what you're talking about, is I try to tell myself every single day I can choose how I want to live out this life. Every single moment I can ask, is this really what I want? And if it's not, I can make a drastic 180 at any time. But it's like doing so requires you to let go of the narrative of like, this is who I am. This is who this person is. And all these other things that allow us to find like stability and grounding in our existence. But like, if yeah, if you let that go and recognize that like each moment someone can change, each moment I can change, the world can change, and then you find freedom to move through it. But then you have to let go of the narrative. And it's like, damn, they're like really playing against each other. The stability of safety versus like living into the unknown. Yeah, like I kind of like use this metaphor a lot of like mm. ice and water, right? When, when something is ice, you can chip it, right? But you can't chip water. If you take a hammer and put it into water, you know, whatever, it just moves around it. And that's kind of the thought I have about like our egos and our expectations and stuff in life. It's like learning to not be so tied. And this goes with this is this is a very helpful lesson for anyone that has anger problems. I mean, it was the big thing for me is like a lot when I realized that a lot of my upsetness was coming from what my expectations of the situation were. I think the saddest thing ever is when you have folks that can't appreciate the beauty of the craziness of life. Like when life says, oh, you want to do that? You're not doing that. You're doing this. And all you can do is react in, in this this hurt way to what you thought was going to happen. And now you're completely oblivious to what is happening. And when you realize that like that happens all the time, you realize that a lot of the position, the, the perception we have in those times is that we are being upset by life rather than being like, okay, w rather than reacting with what is actually presently occurring. You know, my therapist said something to me one time. She was like, I was married twice in my life and uh, my second partner, uh, we, ha we had our daughter and we got divorced. And when I got divorced... My therapist told me, you need to think about what kind of legacy you want to set for your daughter. And I was like, what do you mean? Like when I'm dead or something? And they're, and they're like, no. So like if you're like a family that hugs, like, you know, some families are huggy or some talk a lot about things or some. She was like, you can just do that. Like if you want to have that family, it's just you. So you don't need to get a partner on board. Like right now you can just start doing that. So like if you're the family that just goes on walks and finds Pokemon, like you can do that. And and I was just like, whoa, I actually can do that. Like I don't have to convince. And the thing is, so like I realized like, whoa, I can just kind of set the own culture here. And, you know, that was a kind of empowering thing for me because it, it came in a time in my life where I was actually more cognizant of. Like, I feel like I own 100% of my behaviors now. Um, like, if I do something, it's – I probably decided to do it, you know? <laughs> like, like I rarely find myself – knock on wood um, – I never find myself doing something I don't want to do. 
I never find myself getting more upset about something than more than, than I want to or reacting in a shitty way. And I think, I think it's really just because I've had a lot of practice. Because <laughs> parenting, like you're just under the gun all the time and you don't want to hurt your kid's feelings or anything like that. But then also just having to deal with the health stuff. Like in 2019, they kind of found out that um, I had an uh, autoimmune disorder. Because they were wondering, like, what's all what's all these health issues that you're having? You know, like, they, they thought I was, I was having this kind of underlying autoimmune disorder. And I was worn down. I ended up having pneumonia and basically being in the hospital for a month. Almost dying, being on, like, the septic scale. I'd stopped responding to all oral antibiotics. And so they put me in with a team. And they were just going through everything. They were like, what they ended up finding out was that I have this weird thing that allows me to not keep certain antibodies. So, like... The antibodies for the bacteria that usually cause pneumonia, my body just doesn't retain them. I thought I might die. I also thought that I might just not be able to be a co like to co-parent at all. I didn't really know where my health was going to be, and I had to kind of sit there and be like, you know what? I had to give up my studio because of my health. Uh, I had to give up going to college later in life because of my health. What if I have to give up co-parenting? And it was like the worst thought because when I became a a dad, it was like winning the lottery. It was like oh my god the best thing ever but you know even in that that was probably the hardest realization i read to try and have even in that i knew like well dude i i'd rather be 20 percent parent with my kid than zero you know so like just focus on like the good side of it you know but like having especially those kind of health issues where like you're you know you're looking at that and like mortality and all this kind of thing it kind of focuses you number one to see the good in it also but then also coming with you know someone that has chronic depression you also realize that if you allow yourself to get into a certain point it's not going to be good and so like i have a responsibility to a lot of people around me to not go there and it's like i can always see my depression it's like a little puddle off the side of me and i know exactly what i could do to jump in there and just swim in it for a bit but i just don't i mean i literally visualize it just kind of like as this puddle an asphalt like on the street or something and it's just this kind of like bunch of negative thoughts but it's it's like a snowball thing like once you get into it you're just going to end up at the end of this cycle of feelings and thoughts that are going to conclude with your brain telling you and confirming every worst thing about you and it's all based on like speculation it's all evaluations of past things. There's not really any absolute facts in it, you know? So it's like, well, you might've dropped this, but like your rationalization is cause you suck, you know? And like, not because of like you're fallible on a human, you know, it's just kind of, you know, catering into the worst conclusions possible on every single thing. So, you know, I, I do my best to avoid that while just kind of also, you know, and I think people confuse jumping into that puddle sometimes with letting them feel hurt like because we have to feel emotion like sometimes we have to stop what we're doing and really just be like like i had a breakup you know um gary you're an amazing person well thank your you. emotional <laughs> maturity and intelligence is is beautiful what you're saying all these things of you know where you've been who you are now and the ability to control your emotions and see them and keep this mindfulness is an immense, immense strength that so many people don't ever tap into or if they do after many, many years of life and struggle. 
So I'm just in awe of the person that you are and everything that you're telling us today. Well, thanks. I mean, I've had a lot of practice. I mean, like it's like a trifecta of like my childhood and then just depression and then the health issues and then throwing the kind of parenting. But all these things have given me amazing opportunities. I mean, it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's kind of silly or whatever, but in Buddhism, they're like, you know, dealing with your enemies is a, I, is a time to practice. Dealing with hardship, dealing with things that you're not ready for or maybe that you're not open for is a time to practice. And, and once you get in there, like you can realize that like sometimes you're reacting poorly because, you know, it's something you need to learn about. Because I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I just don't want to suffer and I don't want other people to suffer. And that's kind of been the motivation for any bit of thought that I've put into trying to figure anything out is that, you know, it's like that Hippocratic oath of like first do no harm. And I would like to be a functional member of society. And if I'm going to interact with people, I don't want to be like being shitty to them. And you also want to interact with yourself kindly. Sometimes we forget right. how big yeah. a part of that equation is that like learning how to interact well with other people, I believe strongly takes interacting with yourself internally so much better. And this work is so difficult. It is not fun. I never want to call any of this work fun. It's hard and difficult and you have to like open yourself up and be sensitive to asking where is this coming from and when you find out what that is holding the compassion for yourself to actually learn from it and not have shame and that is not fun but the rewards are so great so great and in my experience the work has been kind of easy it's that the realizations are hard Right. Realizing why you're hurting about something that, you know, it's it's not simple because the hard part is coming to terms with why does this thing hurt you so bad? Why did this thing upset you so bad? And it usually has to do with you accepting loss of something. Yeah. Loss of an expectation for your life, a loss of a person that you hoped would be something, our parents, lovers, children, so many different things. And we, it, again, it's this narrative of we want the world to be what is understandable and easy. And it frequently defies that desire. <laughs> it gives us complexity and it gives us the gray and it gives us chaos and all these things. And so I feel like you are just such a bright example of learning to surrender to that and then move through it. That's beautiful. Well, it's, you know, it's also part of music. Like if I write songs all by myself, it's just my song and it's to the extent of my imagination and understanding. But when I bring him into a band and he might mishear it or he might interpret it differently there's some folks that can't handle that. They're going to walk in there and be like, no, I need this exactly like that. But what I realized was it makes it richer. It makes the end result richer. Like mishearing what I said or like you taking it a completely different way than throwing it back at me like this and then me doing that too. Like we end up with these ideas that are way more complex than just what any one of us can bring. Yes, exactly. And I think what's been interesting as I started editing this podcast is I was watching a, a lot of the sound waves when you're recording and just these voices. And so as you're talking about this, I'm also thinking about some things that I've been thinking independently on my own that really resonate. And I love these moments where we can bring thoughts together. 
Um, so I was thinking a lot about that and just these concepts of life and yeah, what is stagnant? I, I consider myself a very happy person. I have anxiety, but I consider myself happy. But then there are days where sometimes I'm just not happy. And I just got so frustrated. I was like, why? Like, why? Like, why am I here today? But it really is this movement of up and downs. And that is super normal. And it's just catching those slight slopes and not writing it deeper into a state of depression and worry. And I think what freaks me out as someone entering the field of psychology and working with all these sorts of things is that the concept of depression and these different mental problems, it's a very disease state model where like you have depression. This is who you are and it defines you. And I, in my opinion, I think it keeps you stagnant in that spot and not recognizing that it is so dynamic. Some days you might feel a little bit better. And if you learn to ride that upward momentum, you can get out of it. But if you feel like it's a static thing and it defines who I am and it defines every day that I look at the world through that lens, it's going to be so hard to get out of that. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's, I've never been like a person that's like really into like labels, having that idea of like, okay, if I do have depression, I know, look, you know, it's, it's like, I have this other thing called hyperglycemia where like, if I eat like starches, they'll, you know, convert to sugar within like two hours. So like, I can't eat the way other people eat. I just have to work with that calculus, you know? And so kind of the same thing with dealing with depression is like, I shouldn't avoid possibly depressive things like getting in a relationship or something, but you just know when you get into the certain areas, like you're not going to have a harder time with it. Possibly. You just have to do things differently. I don't view it as a limit. I view it as like a fact of your life kind of, you know, and you know, it's, it's also a humbling thing when you, when you hit limits where like you want to do more and still kind of like not feel bad about yourself, you know, cause it's like, you know, like all I'm really accountable for is how I react to the life around me, you know, and the other, and part of that is also when you react badly, not just giving up a lot of the success of that depends on how you, how you handle failing. And that's a good thing that I'm really good at is failing. Like I've been failing for so long that I just don't even like, I just expect it. Oh yeah. Someone says you're a failure. You're like, no, I failed. I am not a failure. That label is not moving forward with me. And I think that's what makes you an incredibly strong person. And even as the host of this, I'm like thinking to myself, like, have I asked him about the joy? He said he's a very happy person, all these other things. But I think the joy comes in the acknowledgement of everything that we just talked about. That's where the joy just starts to sprout out because then when things happen that are beautiful in your life, you're incredibly thankful that for them and you can see it because you're not so focused on controlling all the other aspects of chaos. And then this happiness just starts to elude from you. And A big thing that brings me joy is just being able to be a, a father. And that joy feels like you know, I mean, it's just struggles. It's just getting through the day. It's just like, oh my God, I was able to get the dishes done. I was able to um, make sure that they did school today. I was able to, you know, not flip out, handle it all well, end it with a smile. Also, you have to do horrible things. You have to punish kids and you have to parent them and like discipline them. And, you know, that can feel really rough sometimes. Um, for up even up until like maybe four or five years ago and i think it might have been more because of the relationship i was in but like 
like probably like four years ago, I was like horribly depressed and I was just having a bunch of health issues and um, they're kind of all accumulating on top of each other. But the thing I didn't realize was I was in a relationship where like just personality wise, we were like opposite sides of the coin. And so it would just take every bit of me to get out of like the day, you know, like to get through the day. And um, I don't know, like once that kind of came off that whole relationship, I, I realized uh, it was kind of like running a, a marathon with like a hundred pound backpack and then, and then taking it off. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> and so for, I don't know, for like the last two years, I've just been like a lot uh, happier. I think also it was, it was kind of, you're just kind of, I wasn't able to see a lot of the things in myself that had kind of developed over the, cause we were in a relationship for like eight years. I wasn't able to see that because it's so it's so hard to see yourself when you're in a live-in relationship with somebody like it just just from the live-in part like even just having a roommate like it's hard to see where like your actual natural cycles are Mm-hmm. i've been equating it a lot to almost kind of like a pool right like an enclosed pool of water And you naturally have your own rhythm movement to that water, right? But then when you come in and live in very close proximity to another person's waves and energy, you know, just think about that small pool that gets a little bit of rock and then another rock and it builds on each other. But when you take a step out from that situation and spend alone time, the water is really subtle and you can kind of look actually in that clear water and see your reflection. And that's a lot of Buddhist mindfulness, right? I mean, that's where I'm getting this metaphor from probably because I I read Tachinit Han, which talked about that. They talk about the fact that like our thoughts are like this river and only when we can calm we can see our reflection in it and actually see who we are. And I think that requires alone time. And I think that's what makes these relationships with humans so hard. We have such energy that we do vibe off of each other. And I think I'm, I'm kind of like you in that same way of I believe in science. So I don't know how much I want to believe in energy. But there we know mirror neurons work where when we're with other humans, we tend to like pick up their energy and, and it actually translates in how we move our body, how we feel different emotions. And that's science. Like that's known. And so it's like, yeah, these relationships, these friendships, all of these dynamics are really changing yourself as well. And it takes time to kind of find who you are and – I, I could imagine that's probably a lot of what you found in this alone time of listening to yourself again. Yeah, totally. And it was crazy because I'd never really been alone. The, out of my whole life, I've lived alone for 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 months. And then half the time I've got my daughter here, so is it really alone? <laughs> but it's been – it's illuminating Oh, yeah. I think Virginia Woolf was on to something when she wrote about the importance of having a room of one's own as to become your own person. And so, yeah, I I live alone, too. And I think it's been the key to a lot of learning about myself. I was scared of it at first. And it, it was a little weird at first, like the first month or two. I was scared as being someone with depression. You know, it's like one of those life fact things. Like there's certain things I need to do. I was worried that like not having someone to kind of just impose another reality. I was worried that, I mean, cause it all happens to all of us at some level just with, I think that's a lot of what we see with just kind of like 
people getting weird political beliefs in their 40s or 50s <laughs> is they don't kind of have like these these regular checks and um so I was a little worried about that but with the balance of my daughter it actually ends up working out great um because it's like I get I I have them on this rotating schedule um, that gives me a break, which is crazy as a parent to ever get a break. Like I have days where like they're not here and then they're, they're on and then they're it's like days off. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And I, I think it works out great for them because they kind of get the best of both me and their mom. Exactly. I think. Well, then I have a question for you. A little bit of a segment, but also because yeah. it's something I ask everyone on this show. What is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? And I think the reason why I was cued into this is because I think parenting teams, in my opinion, need to be more normalized as a beautiful thing. And that does do exactly what you're saying of bringing out the best of both a parent that leads that child through their development. So that doesn't have to be your thing, but it is something I do ask everyone on the show. I would think... Realizing that your brain will do everything it can to make you feel like crap. For certain types of people, maybe. But it's almost every person I've ever interacted with. If your brain can take that the wrong way, it fucking will. One of the things I'm so thankful for being in therapy for so long is being able to identify these personal issues that I have to realize where my brain's more going to do it, you know? Um, and, and kind of so that you can disregard that narrative, you can realize, yeah, that's probably just because my brain's an asshole and wants me to, you know, and it's weird because also when you start working on these things and you get better with it, your brain actually kind of ramps it up. Your brain actually kind of intensifies it, but you get better at kind of just flipping it away. Exactly. But it, it starts to almost get angry at you <laughs> of like, you're not paying attention to me. Let me scream louder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dang. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I would say a lot of people are probably in that boat as well. And I think that's why I'm so incredibly thankful for people like you who are willing to come on this show and be vulnerable. And I think that's the beauty of the music you were talking about that you were making, of being vulnerable, of this is where I am in my life. And I I hope that that's what this show is, of just normalizing so many of these things to recognize that we're all in this boat together and our brains are always trying to find, yes, the worst way to look at this and having mirrors and other people that see you change that narrative like your therapist who heard your inner dialogue and gave you a new perspective. And here as we collaborate together to create this conversation and then all the listeners who hear from this and I feel like hope find a home in the story that you've shared today yeah i mean it's 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 been there's this idea of like truth that we have kind of about ourselves about our own narrative you know probably the worst feeling ever you can have in your life is when you realize that or at least for me it's been when i realized that what i thought was true wasn't like when you find out that like all your friends think you're an idiot or something you know, like in like third grade or something or like that you're actually really bad at this or that you've been a part of an abusive cycle that everything you've thought, you know, like one the whole way I found out that I was abusive versus just being shitty and abusive was my ex-wife had mailed or emailed me like this list of abusive behaviors when we had split up. 
But like reading it, it was enough for me to realize like, oh, that's not just me with a temper. That's like a fucking cycle. That's like a like that's a role that I'm part of having little moments where like you get outside your truth just for a second to like be able to be like, whoa, you know, maybe I know it's weird. We have to walk this life being confident (laughs) in the things we do know, but simultaneously being confident that we're also going to be fucking wrong, but being humble enough to, to, to correct and hopefully not alienate or hurt anybody so bad in the process. I think that is life. That is life right there. And I think the more people that learn to work in that gray space, the more freedom and the more joy that they're going to find, just like you, despite whatever history of events. I think that lesson is applicable to all of humanity. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You've shared such a beautiful story today, and I'm so, so thankful for you. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Is there anywhere that you could plug for people who want to find your stuff, your music? I sing in a band called 92FU, just 92FU. Playing another band called Five and Our Fine. That was the band with my friend Patrick. Um, and then I have my own solo stuff. It's just under Gary Lama. And I do a podcast called Various Things Podcast. But if you're not from Richmond, I don't know if it'd be viable. <laughs> Well, yeah, I I will put links below so that people can find your music and I'll put some links so they can just click it below. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's cool to actually do it. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show. 